this is what we say for trans- transformed is healthy people, they do healthy things. So we've covered seven different areas. The introduction week, we talked about setting goals. Uh, we also talked about spiritual health. Uh, we talked about physical health, emotional health, mental health, right? Um, and last week, we talked about relational health. Key, that, that one was huge. And so today, uh, we have two more, two more lessons to cover, vocational and finances. And so today, we're going to talk about, about the money part of that. Next week, uh, Robert's going to be speaking on, on vocational health. So I encourage you to come and, and continue to learn and grow in that. And so we'll be, we're kind of just covering these different areas. So today, we're talking about financial health, and we're really talking about transforming how we see and how we use money. This is important. This is so huge. Um, see, Jesus, he talked more about money than he did about heaven and about hell. Um, Jesus talked about money quite a lot. He talked to, in, in fact, uh, he told a lot of stories and parables about material possessions, right? In fact, in, in, the first, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels in the New Testament, uh, one out of every six verse has to do with something with material possessions. So it's, it's this huge part of our life uh, where he talks about money and says it's important. And so really we want to say that we, we need to do this because here's the truth. If you don't manage your money, your money will manage you. If you don't control your money, then your money will control you. And I don't know if you've ever been under the control of money where you have a lot of debt, where you're just out of, or it's out of control. It is not fun. That is not, that is not the kind of boss and taskmaster that you want to have. And so we want to say, hey, if we learn to maybe think about money a little differently, we might be able to help us manage how we use money and interact with money. And so that's what today's going to be about. And so why do we want to talk about this? Because tr- money has a tremendous influence in our lives. There's a tremendous power that comes with money that if we miss it, man, we can be, track- we can be chasing these things the rest of our lives and never find peace and, and joy and, and just life in that because we're chasing the wrong things. So we're going to talk about a story, and, and this story is probably the most misunderstood parable that Jesus teaches. In fact, it's probably the one parable that's taught the least in church. It's just not really hit a lot, um, and it's called the, 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 the parable of the shrewd manager, or some translations call the dishonest manager, and so we're going, to talk, we're going to go through this story, and at first it's going to seem like Jesus is approving of dishonesty. He's not, all right? So let me just put that in the front. He's not, dis, he's not approving of dishonesty, um, but he's using a clever crook to teach an example, as an example. And so as we go through this story, um, we'll, we'll explain why and a little bit why he chose this story, but I'm going to read it to you, and then you can, um, you can follow along on, on, on the screen or in, on your notes, also in your Bible if you have that. So this is found in Luke 16, all right? In Luke 16, it says that Jesus told his disciples that there was a rich man, I'm sorry, there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. You know, I'm not strong enough to dig ditches, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe your master, my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill Sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. This man, weird story, right? And, and so this man, is, he's going to get fired. His, his boss comes in and says, all right, you've been managing my stuff. You're giving an account because you're, you're fired. You're no longer going to work for me. So he goes and he's, he, he settles this and he says, um, that, that he, wants to, he wants to be able to get himself in a better position, right? And so the next one, it says, now when the master heard what the dishonest manager said, had done, he still praised his shrewdness. 
For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than those who belong to the light. So he's not approving of dishonesty, but rather he's saying this guy understood something. He, he praised him for his shrewdness. We'll talk about what shrewdness means in just a little bit. But I want to keep reading, all right? So it goes on to keep saying that, um, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The story still keeps, kind of keeps getting a little weird, right? You're like, this is a weird story. And it just keeps getting more weird. Like, so use money to get friends, like buy friends. That's just really weird. But there's, some, there's something more going on here. Whoever can be trusted with very little will also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trusted worth, worthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy of somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? He goes on to say, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that's the rest of, of Luke 16. He keeps on going through there. So it's important to note, all right, that Jesus did not praise the man's dishonesty. He was not praising his dishonesty, but he was praising his shrewdness. See, another part thing to note is you can still learn from people that you don't agree with 100% of the time. We can learn and benefit from others without approving of everything they do. You know, it's, it's crazy to think that we have to wait to agree with somebody percent before we can learn from them because we'll never find, we'll never learn from anybody if that's the, if that's the standard. I mean, my own, I don't agree with myself 100% of the time, right? Like, man, sometimes you just, you have it wrong and, you know, you fight yourself sometimes over things. My wife never agrees with me 100% of the time. So we can learn from people that we don't uh, agree with. It's kind of like if I needed heart surgery, right? I'm not going to go to the doctor and say, so, did you go to church last Sunday? That's not my first question. Did you read your Bible this week? Heart surgeon, before you open me up, did you, have you been praying and asking God to help you? You know, my, my question is going to be, have you done this before, right? Do you have credentials? Like, have you, like, have you helped a lot of people with this procedure? That would be my question. I want to make sure that he's, he's qualified, he's doing the right thing. So we don't, we don't learn from people just because we agree all the time. Jesus, in fact, it goes on. There's two reasons I think Jesus told this story. One, his audience was the Pharisees. See, the next verse in 14, it says this, that the Pharisees, they dearly loved money. So when they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him. But Jesus told them, you're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what's in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. And that's important. That last line is why we're going to talk about what we're talking about today. Because he says, the things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God concerns, as God, as God is concerned. That's a, that's a powerful statement. There's a lot of things that we think are really important that really aren't that important. And he's going to talk about this. A couple of reasons. He told it because his audience was the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. A Pharisee is somebody, man, who wanted to make a big show of, of going to church all the time, of giving to the poor, of all their good deeds. They wanted everybody to know they did it. It's a Pharisee. Uh, somebody that was self-righteous, that thought they were better than others, judgmental, um, a hypocritical, somebody that wanted other people to live a certain, certain way, but they themselves wouldn't. And, and God said, there's a problem with this. Man, I don't want, he's, he, he was challenging them not to be that kind of person that was fake, that put a show on on the outside, but on the inside, there's a whole bunch of darkness and stuff going on. But he's saying, I want your whole life to be, be a part of what I'm doing. And I think the other second part of this is he wanted to, it was for shock value. Okay? He did this a couple times, different stories, where he makes the villain the hero or the good guy. And he, religious people would be like, what? How could he make hero? This is not right. He's wanting to do shock value. He's wanting to say somebody like, don't miss this. 
I'm saying something that's going to make you really upset because I don't want you to miss this. In fact, I want you to go home so mad that you'll be thinking about this for a long time. Why? Because God's heart for us is to to transform and to change us into somebody that um, can be used for his kingdom. And so sometimes he does that. You know, know, we think as Americans, life is about being comfortable. Man, God, if if you're comfortable and you're not growing, you know what he's going to do to get you to grow? Make you uncomfortable. Because growth is more important than being comfortable. Being challenged and using your life for something is better than just sitting and wasting it and, and letting it pass by. And so a loving father is saying, hey, man, you, you need this. You need this. I, I, want, I want to challenge you. I want you to learn something. So this is how we can define shrewdness. What is shrewdness? If he's praising shrewdness, what does that mean? You know, because we hear shrewd, and that's like a, that most people think a negative term. Like, that's just not good. It's like a dishonest person. No, this is what shrewd means, okay? It's, it's a keen awareness, it's being smart. It's being strategic. It's being resourceful. It's seeing the problem clearly and knowing what needs to be done. So we can say shrewdness is knowing how things work, right? We need to learn how things work. We need to understand how things work so we can, we can be like he's talking about, the, 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 the shrewd manager. That we can understand how to handle our, our time, handle our finances, handle all those things that we are in charge of, that God has let us be in charge of. So... Um, he wants us to figure out how to do this. So when it comes to regarding money, God wants you to learn biblical shrewdness. And that's why he told this story. And so we're going to pull out a few things, okay? So here's what not to do with money. We're going to learn a, learn a few things that we should do and a few lessons from it, all right? So we're going to learn four things not to do with money and then five truths to remember about money every day, things that we just need to learn about money. So just off the bat, this is not about giving. It's not about tithing. It's not about giving to the church. This, this is not the message, all right? We've done that in the past, and that's important. But today it's about saying, how, can, how do we see and how do we handle finances? Because it shows us something more about who we are. So what not to do with money? The first thing is don't waste it, all right? Everybody say, don't waste it. That's a good, that's a good thing to know, all right? So he was, he was accused of wasting his, his master's finances. So the first thing we do is what not to do is, is don't waste it. The second thing is this. Um, don't, let, don't, don't live for it. Or don't love it or don't live for it. All right? Don't love it. Don't live for it. In fact, he says um, it's impossible to serve God and to serve money. Like he says, you can't have two masters. You ever done this? You have two bosses telling you what to do? You'll go crazy because two people are going to be asking you to do different things all the time. It's not that you can't, but rather it's impossible to live with divided allegiance. It's impossible. You can't serve two things at the same time. And this is what Jesus is saying in this story. He's saying you, you either have to, you have to choose one. Are you going to live for money? Or are you going to live for bigger purposes that I was, you were created for? See? Because it's, it's a heart problem. It's, it's a behavior problem. It's things we do. It's not just head knowledge, but it's behavior. We're, we're doing a financial group in, in, um, uh, for our small groups. Um, so, so today, you know, I didn't really say this. We didn't celebrate a whole lot. But today's our six-month anniversary uh, as a church, which is really great. God's doing some cool stuff. Um, and, and one of those things that he's doing is we have small groups. We have 11 groups that, that happen all around the city throughout the week which is really cool. Uh, one of my groups is, is the financial group. We're learning about uh, from Dave Ramsey how to have financial peace. If you've never taken that class, I highly recommend it, encourage it. It's very challenging, but it also is just there's, there's a lot of great things that come with it as you learn and put these principles into practice. And so our group is learning that. So we have groups happening all around. People are having life changes. It's pretty, pretty awesome. And in this, he says m- handling money is, a, money is a behavioral thing. It's not a head thing. Because a lot of times we usually know what the right thing is to do but our emotions and our behaviors get the best of us and they get in the way. So it's learning how to break that down and how to handle money. So anyways, that's a side note. So 
Um, we can't live for two masters. We can't work for money and we can't work for God. You have to choose what is going, what's going to happen. It doesn't work. And so Jesus, he lays it out black and white. He doesn't make it vague. He's saying either you serve God or you serve money. It's your choice. And so we, have to, we must choose what we'll love most in our lives. So he's saying don't, don't, love people, don't love money. We get that reversed. You know? we, we, he said love people and use money. And sometimes what happens is we use people because we love money. He said, don't get the reverse. Love people and use the money. It's a tool, which we'll talk about in a while. The choice is always between God and money. That's what he's saying. It's, it's a choice between God and money. And it's easy for money to become our God. So he's, he's making a big deal of that. So don't love it or live for it. Number three, what not to do with money is don't trust it for security. All right? Your money can be gone in a flash, Proverbs says, as if it has grown wings and flew away like an eagle. Man, your money, can, it can be gone. It, can, it just goes away. So here's, here's a great statement to remember in your life. Never put your security in something that you can lose. All right? If your security is in a house, man, you're setting yourself up for disaster because houses, they, they, over time, they dilapidate. They, they lose, you know, you have to work on them. If your security is in a car, man, you lose money every single week that you drive that car, right, to the new car. Man, you're losing value in your car. If you put value in something closed, they wear out. When you put security in, in something that, can, that you can lose or that won't last, you're setting yourself up for failure. Rather, we have to learn to put our, our hope and our security in something uh, that will last beyond us, that will last for all time. You have to send your life on something that's going to last forever. And you know what? The scripture says that God's love will last forever. If you want to know where you can put your security and your, your trust, God's love. He's a loving father that cares for you so much that says, I have great plans for you. Don't miss out on this life because I have good things for you. All right? So don't trust it for security. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy. Don't expect it to satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money will never have enough, and whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. You ask somebody, you know, that's chasing money, how much more money do you need to be happy? Just a little more and a little more. You'll never, you'll never be satisfied because you'll always be chasing it. You'll never be satisfied with it. In fact, Jesus says in Luke, guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. This is all about not conforming. See, see this, this series, Transformed, is about, from, from Romans, says don't, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but think different. Try and be transformed by renewing your mind. So today, let's talk about the five counterculture truths about money. All right? If you remember these and act on these, they will help transform your life because it's what God, how he wants us to view and see money. So what we need to remember every day about money is this. For number one, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Everything you have, it belongs to God. You really don't own anything. God owns it all. He's just lending it to us. It's on loan. We're managing it. It wasn't, before you, it wasn't yours before you were born, right? It's not going to be yours after you die. It's going to be given to somebody else. It's passed on. We just get to use it for a little while. So it's all on loan, Okay. And we're all in management of what God has entrusted us with. So if, what if you started looking at everything in your life this way? It would give you a lot of peace, you know. Well, God, um, all right, so we, we, we drive in our car. We say, God, thank you for this car that you blessed me with, that, you, that you've loaned me. Man, I'm going to take care of it, all right? Thank you for this home that I get to sleep in. Thank you for this bed. This is a great bed, God. Thank you for this food that I'm eating. Thank you for these dishes that I'm able to eat my food on. When you begin to see that it's not yours, but you're just entrusted with it, it's on loan, man, your worry will begin to decrease. 
the way you see everything and the way you look at things, it'll, it'll change. Because, say this week you're driving your car, you get a fender bender, right? Get a little bump. Well, it's not your car. So you say, God, you have a little problem here. You have a little bender, fender, you know, a little bump dent in your car. What are you going to do about this? And I bet God will laugh and be like, you're right, this is my car. Let's take care of this. Let's fix it up. And we begin to invite God. So what should we do about this, God? This is your, this is your car. What do we need to do? And we invite God into this. It's, it's a whole different way to look at things. Because that's what God is inviting us anyways. When he sent Jesus, he didn't send him so we could build churches, so we can have these, these rituals that make us feel better about ourselves and have another religion. That is not why Jesus came to this earth. He came rather so we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what he wanted in the first place. He wanted to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, not to have a church that makes us feel good about ourselves because we go every week. That's important. I'm not saying coming to church is bad. We want you to come to church because you learn, you grow, you have relationships. But it's not about religion, and it's not about ritual. It's not about habit just to do it. Because I know what that's like. It's, it's, so you can come to church, and you get in the pattern of that, where there's nothing, about, nothing transforming about it, nothing giving about it. You just do it because you have to do it. He's saying, rather, this week, can we interact? Can I help you out with your problems? Can I help you fix these things? I want you to manage, manage well. So it all belongs to God. The owner enlisted a manager. This is what the, the scripture says, right? So enlisted a manager to care for his property. He's telling this story saying the owner enlisted this guy to take care of his property. So the question is, how well are you taking care of God's property? How well are you doing with the things that God's entrusted you with? See, the rest of verse 1 says this guy was wasting his master's possessions. And the fact is, anytime I'm wasting money, wasting something, I'm actually wasting God's money. And God's possessions, his time, his things. It all belongs to God. So, um, the second thing is this. First, we, we just have ownership. And one of the words he uses is stewardship. We're just stewarding it. We're taking care of it. The second thing to remember is God is using money to test me. All right? He says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth. So, um, God doesn't just entrust spiritual power to anybody. He doesn't just entrust relationships and, and things of his, his kingdom to anybody. He's, rather, he's saying, I'm, first I'm going to test your faithfulness. I'm going to see how you manage things and handle things and see if you could handle more of it. And he's always continually testing us. And the favorite thing, he, the thing he likes to use the most to test us is our finances. Because it shows us where our heart is. In fact, one of the one things he says is uh, where, your, where your heart is, um, that's where your, where your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, in fact, I'm going to read this because it's so important to read. In Matthew 6, 19, it says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be also. So he's continually testing us with finances. And what does it test? Finances, it tests a few things, all right? It shows, first, what we love the most. What we love the most. See, God deserves and he insists on first place in our life. And when we put something else in that place, he's saying, you don't love me the most. You love something else the most. And so it's testing where our heart is. Whenever I live for my money, for my, my, say it this way, and I live for my money and for my things, man, God is pushed out of the, out of the picture. He's not there. Because he's not put first. It's about what I want, what I think. And it becomes my master. And money is not a good master. 
He's not a good master. So when I give my money, give my money away and learn to manage it, learn to, to do what God wants, I become a servant of God and I begin to use it his way. And I'm not, I'm not serving the money. I'm serving the person that loaned me the money. I'm, help, I'm using that. So God uses money to test us. It shows what I love most. It shows what I really trust most in life. If you look, this is how you can learn these things. All you have to do is go to your bank account, print up your statement, and look at where you spent your money the last month or two months. If you have a checkbook, you know, checkbooks are kind of getting outdated now, right? Not a lot of people use checkbooks. But if you look at that register and you begin to look through that, it'll show you what you value the most. This is why Jesus tells this story, because he's saying, I want to to help you see what you value the most. Just look at how you spend money. Look how you handle your, your time. It's an indication of what you value the most. So it shows what I really trust the most. In fact, Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, If you trust in your money, it will fail. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. Maybe sometimes in life, you, you maybe get these places where you're like, I'm just I'm kind of stuck in life. I feel like I'm dead centered. I'm really not moving anywhere. I, I, there's no power in my life. I, maybe I'm not, I'm not close to God. It's kind of like maybe a spiritual roller coaster. Of sometimes I feel really good. Sometimes I feel far, not so good. You know, one of the best things we could do is check, check our checkbook, check our finances. How have we prioritized our lives? And that might give us an indication of where our heart is. Now, we've been focusing too much time on something that God never intended us to focus on. So it shows what we love the most, what we trust the most. It also shows if God can trust me. It shows if God can trust me. When we have out-of-control finances, man, it reveals that we have an out-of-control life. Can you trust us? Man, and this is important. This, this, um, as, as we read that, that whole uh, story of it, man, Jesus is saying how we handle money determines how much God can bless our lives. He's directing us. He's, showing, he's, he's testing us. In fact, in verse 10 of that story of 16, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So God is testing. He's saying, all right, I'm giving you a little bit here. How well are you can do with this? And when we show and prove ourselves that we're doing something good with it, he's going to say, all right, I can trust you with this. I'm going to give you some more. So if you have not been trusted worthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trusted with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? He's saying, I'm testing you. I want to see what's in your heart. I want to see what's there. Man, how much can God bless our lives determines on how well we handle the things that he gives us. It's everything. So there's a direct connection between uh, maturity and how we handle finances. Maturity and, and, and money, how we handle money. In spiritual power and the things that he allows us to have, our possessions. In blessings and how much he gives us with how we handle our dollars. So, the second thing is remember God is teaching the money to test me. The third thing is money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Wait, money's a tool. I thought money was evil. Isn't like money the mo- like the worst thing? Like, isn't the the worst thing in the whole world? You know, love. E- isn't money the root of all evil? Isn't that what the Bible says money is the root of all evil? No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. He's saying, hey, don't put your trust in it. Don't love it. It's a tool. It's not bad. In fact, God wants to give us a lot, but He wants to know He can trust us with it to do something like using it for His purposes. So he says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will become, you'll, you'll be welcome into eternal dwellings. 
So he's not saying, don't hoard it, don't stockpile it, don't worship it, don't love it. Use it. Use it. Use a temporary resource for permanent good. Use it to, use it to save money. Man, use it to do good. Use it to honor God. What did, Jesus, what did he like about this dishonest manager? He's saying he was, he was, he was looking ahead. And this is some of the things we'll go through. So the first thing that he liked about this manager is he said he looked ahead. In fact, Proverbs 14 says that the wise man, he looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. You know, the, the Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom. And you could take a Proverbs every day and read it. You know, today is the, the 22nd. And you can read a chapter of, of Proverbs 22 today, tomorrow, 23rd. It's wisdom. It's a way that we can get some of this, these ideas in our heart and our life. He's saying the, the wise man, he looks ahead and sees what's coming and it changes his plan. It gets out of the way. He sees something coming, he gets out of the way so he doesn't get run over. He looks ahead. So are there any facts that you're refusing to face in your life? He's saying don't be that person. Look ahead. Man, in our country, most people don't have an emergency fund. Man, if you ran out of all your money, what would you do? You'd have to charge on a credit card to get a loan or something. We're not looking ahead. We're not planning for things. Man, a lot, a lot of Americans have little retirement saved up because we're not looking ahead. We're not planning ahead. I think somewhere in Europe, the, the, I think it's in, in France, the, they, the average that the, they save is 12% of their income every year. In Japan, it's 25% a year that they save their income. You know what the U.S. is? Negative one. Negative one. So that's the average savings for, for Americans. That says we're not looking ahead. So you think this story is important to us? Yes. Jesus is saying, would you look ahead? Man, learn to see money differently. It's a tool to use. Look ahead. The other thing he liked about him is that he made a plan. Do you have a plan? When it comes to your finances, um, how, how do you know if you're planning right? How, do you have a plan? Well, do you have a budget? See, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where, where it all went. Because if you don't tell your money where to go, you know what happens? It said it flies away. It just goes away. It disappears. If you don't tell your money exactly where you want it to go, it'll, go, it'll walk away. It'll, it'll lead by itself. So Proverbs says we should make plans counting on God to direct us. And for our small group, it's important. We're learning this in our, in our financial class. And it's good to be in small groups because you can be challenged by the leaders, by the discussions of saying, hey, I need to make a plan for my life. People hold us accountable. They help us with this. He looked ahead. He made a plan. He acted quickly. So he, he, this is great. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't delay. It said that he set a plan in motion. He acted. He didn't say, someday I'm going to get my finances in order. Rather, he said, this is the very thing that we need to start doing right now. This is what Jesus commends. Is, is take the long view and use the best, the, uh, the, for the best use of money. Take the long view. Don't look at the immediate. This guy said, hey, I'm going to lose my job. I need to set myself up for, man, some friendly people in my life. I need to set myself up for success. I need, I need to do something and, and look differently. And this is the opposite of our culture, which says, man, spend it all now. You have a need, you have a desire, live it up. Go do it. He said, no, man, I, I want you to, look, I want you to look, look ahead. All right, so this next truth that we're going to talk about is, is super counterculture, uh, is, is counter to our culture and what we've been taught and believe. All right? The best use of money is to use it to get people into heaven. The best use of money is to use it to get people into heaven. See, when he told this man, he says, he, you should use it to gain, gain, gain friends. He's not saying be manip- manipulative and buy friends. Rather, he's saying, man, use it to, gain pe- to help people encounter God, to know God's love, so that one day when you're in heaven, in your eternal dwellings, you're going to have a lot of friends. 
When you get to heaven, are there going to be a lot of people that cheer and say, man, you made it. You, you helped give to help get me into heaven. The best way we can use money is to help people experience a loving God. We're the best use of our money because earth will pass away. Right? It's, going to, it's going to end one day. But eternity, heaven goes on. And that's what he's trying to say. This now is a temporary assignment. It's a test for the real thing, for what's ahead, what's coming. Man, so use your affluence for good influence. And use your wealth. Use your, use your means to help others to have what they don't have. Feed some poor people around the world that need feeding. Help. Help people to send missionaries to help them learn about the, the message of Christ and how he wants to, to, to bless them. Help people to meet Jesus. Man, make friends for eternity. Gain rewards in eternity. You know, throughout Scripture, it says over and over, when you, when you give and you do God's way, you're storing for yourself up treasures in heaven. And the last one is this. One day, you'll give an account to God. One day, you'll give an account to God for everything that you've been entrusted. Everything. We'll stand before God after, after our life, and we'll have our life audited and say, what did you do with everything I gave? See, God has entrusted us with assets during our lifetime. He's, he's watching us to say, man, what are you doing? I want to see faithfulness. I want to see consistency. Man, you're, you're not going to be here forever. One day, man, your, your management career is going to end. It's going to, it's going to end. What are you going to do with it? See, in Romans, it says, yes, each of you will have, will have to uh, give a personal account to God. And if I'm faithful a little, God's going to give more. One day, we'll all give a personal account to God. So this principle applies to every area of our life, all right? To our talents, and to our families, to our kids, uh, to our workplace. And God is wanting to do something. Wherever he placed us, he's wanting to use us to accomplish something. If we're good managers and good stewards of that, we will help uh, accomplish those things that he wants us to accomplish. Man, influence, responsibility. What does God want to do with this? So um, as we kind of close the service up and, and talking about how we see and view finances, Really, he talks about this, this term of being a steward, being a manager. It has to start with that first, that first one of saying, we have to recognize that God owns everything. He's just loaning it to us. It's just, it's just this, it's a temporary assignment. It's a temporary responsibility he's given us. What are we doing with that? Well, the thing that will help us to be able to accomplish that is by acknowledging and saying first, that God, I want you to be the one that leads my life. It's about making God your boss about making God your CEO, about God making God Lord of your life. The Bible calls it Lord. Now, we don't really have that term here in, in our day, but you know, when there was kingdoms and uh, when there was kings and there was those things, a Lord, you know, somebody that had control that, that, we, that, was, um, that directed and helped people. We're inviting God to lead us. And that's really what this is about. This whole message is saying, okay, if we're going to use finances and use our talents, our times the way God wants us to, we have to have a relationship with him. And it starts there. And everything we do at the Grove is really trying to point us to that. We want to point people to say, God, your, your father, he has, he has the answers for your questions and for your needs this week. What are you going through at work that, that you're struggling with? God has answers for you. In your family, what are you going with? In school, what are the things that you're facing? God wants to help. He really does. He's waiting for us just to start dialogue because he already started a long time ago. He came all the way to us to say, hey, I'm here. I want a relationship with you. But, he, but what's great about God is he doesn't force himself on us, doesn't force himself into our lives. He doesn't come into control. Rather, he says, where's your heart? Is it with me? And then I'm going to be able to trust you with more. I'm going to be able to help you and lead you in this life. 
So every week, we, at the end of service, we give opportunity for people that have come. Maybe, maybe you haven't been to church for a long time, and as I talk through these things, you know, there's some really helpful things about finances. Really, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would begin to trust God with everything that you have, starting with your heart. I'm saying, God, I'm going to give you the most prized possession I have. Man, my heart, my life. And that's where he wants us to start by saying, God, I want to put you first. So if you came today and we've talked through these things, we're going to give an opportunity just a little bit to, I'm going to lead, I'm going to lead a prayer at the end of the service that we just invite God to lead us into the right relationship. See, see, Jesus died on the cross, and we're going to celebrate this in a couple of weeks. Good Friday, you know. It might seem like a really bad Friday. This guy dies his horrible death on a cross that he didn't deserve. We call it Good Friday because he was dying in our place. He was dying so we don't have to die. And through his death, we can find life. And then on Sunday morning, we celebrate the resurrection, which means the grave is empty, that he conquered the death. The one thing that we should be scared of the most, we no longer have to be afraid of. Why? Because he conquered death. And death no longer has power and fear over our lives to say, hey, your time's coming, it's over. You should be afraid. Rather, man, when my time's over, man, the real party begins, the real story begins because God has more than this. And that's what he's coming to show us. He died on the cross. He rose again to say, if you will die to your flesh, die to yourself by saying, man, forgive me, I'm going to humble myself, you will have new life. So today, if you're here, would you do me a favor, everybody close your eyes, would you give a moment just to kind of make it a little more um, comfortable in here? We'll close in a second with the challenge, but right now I just want to give an opportunity for anybody that's here. You know, you're walking through life, and you, you're at this place where you say, maybe I haven't managed my life well. Uh, and if I gave an account today, it wouldn't be very good. But I need help. If you're here today, and, and, I, and, and you want to say a prayer with me, this prayer that I'm going to lead you in, would you just do me a favor and raise your hand? It's a prayer of just saying, God, I want, I want to give you complete authority. I want to make you boss. I want to make you Lord. I want to invite you to help me. See, the Bible says that when we confess our sins and confess our wrongdoing, that we find forgiveness. If we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that God sent His Son to die on that cross for us, we find forgiveness, we find salvation. So if you're here today, we had a couple hands already go up, but if you're here and you'd like to pray this prayer, would you just lift your hand up and then you can put it back down? Awesome. See those hands? Anybody else? Cool. For you that raised your hands, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. With the rest of us, would you just join us to encourage these with this, as we pray this, to encourage them? Say, Father God, Today, I invite you to be Lord of my life. Be my boss. Be my CEO. Lead me. Today, I confess my sin, my wrong, and I ask for forgiveness. Help me to move beyond those things, to live in a new life. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. I'm going to live for you this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.